Turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus, chapter 20. Coming back to our look at the Ten Commandments, we've come to, this time to the Fourth Commandment, which begins at verse 8 of chapter 20 in Exodus and continues through verse 11. Let's give our attention now to the reading and hearing of the Word of God. Exodus 20 at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone has a moral code, an internal sense of right and wrong. Everyone has it, not just Christians. The moral code, however, that people possess, as you well know, varies. What one person would say is within bounds of that moral code would be quite different from another person's idea of what that moral code's restrictions and requirements would be. A person's moral code is either rooted in God, his character, and his laws, or it's rooted in man. We make our own rules, in other words. And everybody's moral code really comes down to one of those two categories. You're living out the moral code that you have internalized and you live by, either based on the moral law of God or man's ideas of what is moral. Now, of course, we sitting here today probably have a pretty good idea of which one of those ought to be ours. We as believers in Jesus Christ are committed to living in such a way that God is honored and pleased with how we think, how we act, how we speak, our whole persons. And our goal is to please him. And so what we do is we seek to make all of our decisions, all of our actions and words, all of our thoughts based upon the law of God the moral law of God. And the moral law of God, of course, is summarized quite succinctly in these 10 words, the 10 commandments. But these laws are much more than a list of do's and don'ts. If that's all people think it is, then they're not gonna get very far in living by the 10 commandments. Oh, I can't do this, oh, I have to do that. 
The moral law, remember, our law code has to be internalized. It's what we really believe in our hearts, and we seek to live by that. We don't do it perfectly, of course. That's why the Bible talks about confessing our sins. Our sins are when we break God's law. This is especially true with this fourth commandment, this whole idea of the moral law being more than just a list of do's and don'ts. Probably you've had this attitude yourself at some point, most of us have, and many still do, that are faithful churchgoers. Oh, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, which being translated is, I have to go to church. And those people will just do it as a, a checklist for their weekly activities. You know, when it's time for worship on Sunday, I'll run down to the church, go through that deal, and then go back home and it's back to what I want to do. The moral law of God is much, much more than that. And I think we realize that. And so the fourth commandment comes to us, and remember how you break down the Ten Commandments into two parts. We call it the two tables of the law. The first four have to do with how we are to love God. Love the Lord your God. And we've seen the first three already. We aren't to have any other gods. We aren't to worship images. We aren't to take the name of the Lord in vain. And here, God tells us how we are to love God in terms of the use of our time. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then commandments 5 through 10, which we'll see Later on, this during the summer, commandments 5 through 10 have to do with how we express our love properly to others. Love the Lord your God, love the, your neighbor as yourself. First four commandments, love, your Lord, love the Lord your God. Last six commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to say, oh, I love, but do you love the way God has prescribed us to love? And it's interesting that this commandment, the fourth commandment, is the longest of the Ten Commandments. It's not only the longest, but it's the commandment that is most often specifically mentioned in the Old and New Testaments. You might have thought it would have been the first one, maybe, or one of the other ones, but it's this one. Think about all the references that you've come across in your Bible reading to Sabbath. There are different kinds of Sabbaths that are mentioned in uh, the Old Testament ceremonial law, as well as the moral applications of the, of the law. All of that is to say that this commandment has a particular emphasis. It's almost as if the Lord knew that we would maybe tend to be more off, off base, more relaxed in this particular commandment than the others. It's possible to break this commandment and be sitting here right now. Not that what you're doing right now is wrong, but as we understand every one of the commandments, there's a whole lot more to it than just external obedience. It's always a matter fundamentally of the heart. Most people look at the fourth commandment and see it in a negative light. They see it as an intrusion on their very busy lives. We're always talking about how busy we are. 
We're always behind. We've always got perhaps too much going on in our lives. Whatever the case, we're busy. And it's a, a challenge to put everything aside and set aside this one day. Just think about this. God gives you a one-day vacation every single week. A vacation in the good sense of the word. We'll see how that uh, works itself out as we study this more. God wants us to see the law concerning the Sabbath day as a means of blessing. It's not merely an intrusion on our time, and it is not something that was designed for us to debate. Should we even have a, a day set aside? And most of us, when we start thinking about Sundays, we start thinking, okay, what, am I, what can I not do? What do I have to do in order to keep this commandment? If that's all we're thinking about, then we need to take a step back and review the basic principles about this commandment. That's what we're doing today. We're going to take three messages of the next, of today and the next two times I'm in this pulpit to talk about just this one commandment. Next time, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about how we are to live during the whole week. Because as you saw in this, these verses, God's telling us how to use our time on a weekly basis. God did that when he created the heavens and the earth. And then on the last uh, message that we have, we're going to talk about the Sabbath day itself and how we can best honor the Lord in our practice of it. So today, the biblical foundation of the whole idea of the Sabbath, that's what we want to think about. And you'll see in your outline, the first thing I want you to note is that the Sabbath didn't start with Exodus 20 as Moses delivered the law of God from Mount Sinai in the desert. The Sabbath originated with the creation itself. You go back to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, and what is alluded to here in chapter 20 is where that comes from. In six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh day. The Lord blessed it and made that Sabbath day holy, the seventh day. God rested after his work, his work of creation. God's works of creation and providence and redemption remind us that God, in a sense, is always at work. There's a shampoo commercial where a retired football player says, I'm never not working. You've seen that? Never not working. Says it over and over again in that little commercial. God is never not working. But he rests from the work specifically of the creation. He created the heavens and the earth. He stopped that work. And now he rests not in the sense of taking a nap, not in the sense of not doing any more work. He rests from that specific work of the creation. We'll talk about that a little more next time. The seventh day 
is a special day out of all the days of the week. The principle is established right there in Genesis 1 and 2. Something different about that seventh day in the very work of God when it came to the creation of the heavens and the earth. We read here in Exodus 20 that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Those are two very significant terms. God, God pronounced his blessing. You remember he said it was good, 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 and then he said it was very good after he created man and woman. He blessed it, and he made it holy. To make something holy means to set it apart for special use. Even the utensils that were used in the worship practices in the tabernacle and the temple uh, in the Old Testament laws, those were, were said to be holy. Moses' uh, approach to the burning bush, God said, you're standing on holy ground. What that meant was, this is a very special set-apart place devoted to God. And the seventh day is that too. Every day is good, right? We can say what we read in Psalm 118 and what we sang a while ago. We could say that every morning we get up. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But it's especially true of this seventh day because of what we read here. Today's church needs to remember her distinct calling. The church has been set apart to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Peter, in 1 Peter, describes the church as God's holy people. You remember how he says in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness in, and into his marvelous light. That's 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And back in chapter 1, you may remember him saying, beginning at verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This day is holy and it's, it's lived out as being holy by the holy people of God. You and I have been set apart by God's wonderful, powerful grace, set apart for the service and glory of God. A tremendous calling and privilege for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike the unbelieving world, we are set apart to follow Christ in loving, humble obedience to his will. As we do so, we will be different from those who do not share our commitment to living for the honor and glory of God. We're going to be different. There's a sense in which God ought to uh, uh, unbelievers ought to look at you and say, you're really weird, you know. 
There's a good weird and there's a bad weird. The good weird is that we stand out as shining bright lights of truth and grace in the midst of a world of darkness and lies. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the wonderful Welsh preacher of the 20th century, said the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. When the church is absolutely different, not different for difference's sake, there are people out there, I see it every day, people who are trying to stand out and appear to be different for its own sake. It's a way of getting attention. And so you see all manner of things uh, and in the way people present themselves, the way they act sometimes. The, the goal in life is to be a little more different, to stand out in the crowd. That's not what Lloyd-Jones is talking about. It's not what the scripture is talking about. We're to be different from the unbelief and the man-centered moral codes that people live by. The Sabbath day, because it is rooted in creation, means it was one of the three creation ordinances that God established for the whole world. This is really important, and we tend to overlook this. Three creation ordinances in Genesis 1 and 2 that are valid for everybody. One is the Sabbath day. Another is marriage or family. And the third is labor. All three of those are given when God created the heavens and the earth and created man and woman. And all three were created before man fell into sin. Meaning that there's nothing evil or bad about those three things. A lot of people think, for instance, that labor is part of the curse. We wouldn't have to work if Adam and Eve hadn't disobeyed God. No, that's not true. Work is intended to be a wonderful way of being productive and managing God's beautiful created order. Sin has marred that, but through grace, we can work and receive pleasure and productivity and fruitfulness from it. The same with marriage, same with the Sabbath. It's something that is society-wide, and the more it is practiced, even from a... Uh, humanistic standpoint, the more it is at least outwardly practiced, the steadier our society will be. William Blackstone, Sir William Blackstone of English law fame, said, a corruption of morals usually follows a profanation of the Sabbath. A corruption of morals usually follows a profanation, a profaning of the Sabbath. Well, we ought to be able to see that pretty clearly in our own day, shouldn't we? The more people neglect the Sabbath principle, even outwardly neglect it, by having businesses opened or treating it just like another day, the more moral decay will continue to develop. The spiritual vitality, however, of the Christian church 
rests largely on the keeping of the Sabbath. So it's not just a benefit to the world in general that we have some kind of, remember how almost all businesses were closed. Some of us in our own lifetime can remember that. Here in Mississippi, we had blue laws. And that has been chipped away steadily in the last few decades. But for Christians, the spiritual vitality of the church depends a lot on how we treat this Sabbath day. It's sort of a, a, a marker. It's a way of, of, of telling what condition the church is in by how well the church is taking seriously the fourth commandment. Voltaire was a French philosopher, not a Christian. He railed against the Christian faith, the Catholic church in particular. But he did say this that has a lot of truth to it. He said, if you want to kill Christianity, and I think Voltaire probably would be all for that, if you want to kill Christianity, you must abolish Sunday. Get Sunday, the Sunday concept taken away, and Christianity will wither and, in his mind, ultimately die. There's a lot of truth to that. The Sabbath day then originates with creation. It's a creation ordinance. Second thing I want you to note is that the Sabbath celebrates salvation. It celebrates salvation. It celebrates salvation in the Old Covenant before Christ ever came. Under the Old Covenant, God's people were to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. We read once in a while the other listing of the Ten Commandments that are found in, in the Pentateuch, found in the first five books of Moses. And the second place where it's found, as we read from sometimes, is Deuteronomy chapter 5. And there uh, we read the similar wording, but there's something added to it in this particular uh, giving of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5, at verse 11, reading down through verse 15, excuse me, verse 12, leading, reading through verse 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and fe your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember, here's the part I wanted to stress, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day, and here, remember specifically that you had been a slave and you have been emancipated. You've been delivered. You've been rescued from that life of slavery in Egypt, literal slavery. It was awful. And God delivered them from that. He freed them and, and has set them on a path to go to a land full of milk and honey, the promised land of Canaan. They were 
just starting out on that journey, remember that you have been delivered from bondage as a slave. And now, of course, the New Testament takes that, the New Covenant, tells us what's happened since Christ has come. It tells us that we've been delivered from slavery also, only a far worse slavery. We were slaves to sin before the Lord intervened and rescued us, delivering us from the bondage. We were under the domination of sin. Why are we surprised at the things that people are doing? Why are we surprised that crime is, is rampant? Why are we surprised that, that uh, so many people are, are getting all worked up over the possibility of a Supreme Court decision? It hasn't even been rendered yet. Why are people doing the things that they do, breaking God's law? flaunting their ability to, to ransack stores and all of the things we see that are real obvious to the news. But underneath, there's so much turbulence in the hearts of people because they are dead in their sin. All of this is what we have been delivered from. Not that we are no longer sinners. That will happen one day. I'll get to that in a minute. But that we are rescued sinners. We are forgiven sinners. We are new creations in Christ. We have the power of God to help us now overcome our sin. We're no longer condemned and we're works in progress, seeking to grow more and more holy as we grow in our faith in the Lord. The redemption of sinners from their sin through the death and resurrection of Christ was so significant that the early church in the New Testament changed the day of worship. The Sabbath day in the Old Covenant had been the seventh day, which we see as Saturday. But because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week, the early church began worshiping then. And beyond the, what we read in the New Testament, the next couple of centuries, we see the early church continuing to worship on Sundays from historical records. And that has been the case ever since. It's because we are celebrating that our Savior, who delivered us from sin, has been raised from the dead. He not only died for our sins, but he rose from the dead to conquer death for us. So that even when we die physically, we go immediately into the presence of the Lord and our bodies will be raised and glorified one day. You read in Acts 20 verse 7 about the first day of the week. A reference to it. You read it in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. You read the Apostle John referring to the Christian Sabbath as the Lord's Day in Revelation 1, verse 10. Gospel celebration is what the Sabbath day is all about. We, call, we talk about a vacation in a sense, but it's especially a every Sunday. We are celebrating. Yes, there are times when we need to mourn over our sorrow, over our, our, the things that we grieve over and our losses and our trials and troubles. 
but we ultimately triumph over that. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so we have every reason to celebrate in a holy and reverent way, joyfully. So how should Christians view the Sabbath day, or to put it another way, how should we view the first day of the week? How should we view Sundays? The Word of God instructs us in that. And then lastly, notice the Sabbath anticipates glorification. The Sabbath anticipates glorification. You see how there's a past, a present, and a future element here. We look back on our deliverance from sin, our emancipation, if you will. And we look presently at our, the fact that we can worship in, in a context of celebration of our salvation. And then lastly, we look ahead, we look forward. The Sabbath anticipates glorification. The Sabbath day is a, every Sabbath day is a foretaste of heaven. We need to think about, we need to think about how what we're doing right now is a limited and imperfect, but a very real aspect of what our heavenly life will be. And so if you're sitting here today and you're bored out of your mind, I would submit to you there's more to true worship than what you have experienced so far. And I hope that that will change. I know when I was a kid, yeah, you know, I hear people, especially when I was teaching uh, at Bellhaven, students would get, tell them about their background and they would talk about how their mama dragged them to church every Sunday. And we, you know, we talk like that. You know, I had to go to church every Sunday. And it, obviously it was not what we as a kid would have preferred to do. Of course, I've never seen a, a mama or a mama and a daddy drag, literally drag anyone to church with the kid kicking and screaming, but it probably has happened. You're going to church whether you like it or not. But if God's grace works in your heart, there will come a time when you will be able to say, I love being in the house of God with the people of God. I mean, we could meet under a tree if we had to, but to be with God's people and to praise him, to sing truth, to read the truth of God's word, to ponder it as we think through it together like we're doing right now. Glorious, to be reminded of God's grace to us and where God is, where, where we are headed as God works in us. This is not the, the best it's going to be. We're going to worship in glory. You remember how in Revelation we read in, in chapter 14, verse 13, a beatitude. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And it says there, and they rest from their labors. Rest. We rest in the good news of Christ every day of our lives. And we rejoice in it together on Sundays. But when we get to heaven... There's going to be that eternal rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4 tells us about that. Our weekly day of rest and worship is designed to provide rest for body and soul. 
It's God's regular provision to receive what we truly need. Not what we think we need, but what we truly need. And yet our Sabbath days in this life, as wonderful and as necessary as they are, they're incomplete and limited because of our remaining corruption and because of the corruption in the world. So we await the day when Christ will return and make us perfectly whole, both in our condition and perfectly whole in our worship. Imagine all the church of God serving and singing and praising God and honoring and glorifying him with no limitations. I can't even begin to get my head around that. One of our hymns says, John Newton wrote this, one who wrote Amazing Grace, day of all the week the best, emblem of eternal rest. Day of all the week the best, emblem of eternal rest. It also says in that hymn, that's safely through another week, it also says, here afford us, Lord, a taste of our everlasting feast. Sandra McCracken has a song, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. Some of you know that, I'm sure. We will feast in the house of Zion. It's the best day of the week. I've heard Christians, almost every Sunday, I hear some comment, whether I'm out here worshiping or whether I'm up here, doesn't matter. But in talking to people, I hear people comment on what a blessing it was to be in worship today. Because it does something that nothing else in the week can do. Even your private worship, as wonderful and needed as that is, doesn't hold a candle to being able to gather together. We missed that a lot during COVID, didn't we, with our limitations. The best day of the week. Most people live for the weekend. Christians live for Sundays. Not because of football. Using Sundays the way God has established them will provide us what no other day of the week can. The Puritans referred to Sunday as the market day of the soul. What a great way to describe it. Sunday's the market day of the soul. Sadly, most people see Sunday as more like just another market day for the body. Are your Sundays the most special day of the week? So special that they make you look forward to heaven. That's the way it should be. That's the way God desires it to be. The the fourth commandment then calls us to remember the Sabbath day. Keep in mind that when the Bible uses the word remember, it often has to do with not just mental recall. It has to do with recalling something with the purpose and the activity of following up on that with what you do. You really remember something when you act on what you remember. And that's what this is saying. Call to mind your past and how God has worked in you and what God has called you to do on the Sabbath day. And then live accordingly. Have you perhaps forgotten, failed to remember how special the Sabbath day should be? How do you treat this day? How should you and I 
treat this day? Is it holy to you? As God says it is. Are you willing to rethink what this day should mean to you and how you should use that day? I'm not a betting person. Kind of wish I might, if I had been, I kind of wish I had bet on that long shot yesterday in the Kentucky Derby. 80 to 1 odds. Anyway, I'm not a betting person, but I'm pretty sure that every single one of us in here today that truly know Christ has room for improvement on how we can keep the Lord's Day. How we can be more pleasing to God and how we can really make it more of a blessing to us. We're going to talk about that more later on, of course. But the key to living by this commandment is really simple. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our rest. He is our Sabbath. He is the one that said, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me as you are, failing, full of flaws, inconsistent. Yeah, Christians are all like that to some extent, in some ways. We need to come as we are and when we're disobeying, we're trying to find our rest in something else. There are things God wants us to do, but where do we put our ultimate trust? That's what resting is all about. When a person makes a profession of faith and joins the church like this, one of the questions is, have you received and rested, or do you receive and rest upon Christ alone? Rest. You will find rest for your soul. You will find peace. You will find forgiveness, pardon. You will find a new life that you can rely on for eternity when you repose in Jesus only for salvation. Give him your life. He's given his life for you. Come to him and find rest. And then you can truly live in the blessings that come from keeping the fourth commandment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us. You love us so much that you, you point out to us the importance of how we use our weekly lives. How we, we are to establish a, a biblical rhythm for the way that we live six days every week and then that special day every week. Lord, give us open hearts. Help us to think and rethink where necessary how we can more faithfully keep this commandment. And we know that, it, that we have to do it through faith in Christ and looking to him to help us, and he will. Thank you, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.